Thanks for clicking play on the East Lake Tri-Cities Talks podcast. If you're new to this, we're trying to be the best church option for people in the Tri-Cities who aren't typically into church. We hope today's talk inspires you to take next steps in doing life in the way Jesus modeled and taught. If you're ever interested in being a part of one of our in-person gatherings, they take place every Sunday at the Uptown Theater in Richland. Check the website for current times. And regardless of what you look like, who you voted for, or where your tattoos are, we'd love to have you. But for now, here's our most recent talk. Well, good morning and welcome to Eastlake. My name is Jadug. I'm the teaching pastor here at, uh, I'm just kidding, my name is Brent. And uh, for those of you watching online, welcome. For those of you tuning in on the live stream, we're glad you're here. Thanks for being in person as well. Uh, it is welcome to uh, Pasty Leg Sunday, everybody. First Sunday in shorts, you know, it's one of those, wow, the, the bright's really light today or the light's really bright. That's what I meant to say. Uh, no, it's just, you know, the sun's out. So we got to go sun's out, guns out. Here we go. Um, week three of our series, Asking Better Questions. Uh, we kicked it off a couple of weeks ago. Uh, and I, I want to preface or start today by, by just, my son is 10, his name's Grayson. And uh, a while ago, he started asking for a drone. He wanted a drone. Our neighbor has a drone. And so he saw him flying his little drone around. He was like, dad, I want a drone. And my, my neighbor has a nice drone because he does it, uses it for, I don't know, spying on people? I'm not exactly sure. But uh, so then Grayson bought his first drone on Amazon and his Amazon cheap drone. It, it sounds, it worked just the way that, that it sounds. And so the first one wasn't awesome. And his grandparents got him one for Christmas this last year. And, and when I first saw the first one, I was like, dude, why do you want a drone? Come on, man. What, what are we doing? And then, and then the drone came. I was like, see, this is what you get when you get a drone. And then he got a really cool one at Christmas. And he started flying this around. And it, like, connects to your phone. And it's got a camera on it. And so he was, like, doing all this stuff. And he's like, Daddy's showing me. And I'm like, that's pretty cool. Let me see that thing. You know, like, playing with this thing. And then you – there's something very childlike about playing with a drone. If you've, As an adult, if you played with one, you're like – you're seeing things from a new perspective that you've never – like, this is still your house – but you're like, this is our, that's our house. You know what I mean? Like, it's the same thing. Like, if you've ever flown it, if you've flown into the Tri Cities Airport and you're like scoping out for your house, you're like, there it is, there it is, there it is. And you never do that, like just driving down your house, like your neighborhood. You're like, there's our house, there's our house. It's so weird. But like, a new perspective brings like new insights, new excitement, and I don't know, something about it just engages you uh, a little differently. And in, in the same way, um, this is going to be a series about the Bible. My hope in this series has been to kind of take a drone look at the Bible a little bit uh, from like a little 5,000 foot view to perhaps generate new perspective, uh, perhaps generate new excitement uh, about this. I, I think that this, the church has been since its existence, an interpretive community of the Bible, of the collections of the thoughts of people for centuries who have wrestled with the idea and the existence of God uh, and what it means for their life and uh, has a specific history of a people and then of, a, of the church and the New Testament specifically. And then we get to kind of continue that conversation as we look at it and, and say, what does this mean for us uh, living in the 20th century? And and how do we take this and, and learn from it and grow from it? So, anyways, it's been a, it, it's been an interesting people, uh, piece about that. We've titled it "Asking Better Questions" because we said at the outset, some of the smartest people you know ask the best questions. Um, you work with some people who just ask smarter questions than you. Um, you you see that and you go, "I I want to be better at that. I want to be a better uh, spouse." To my, to my wife or husband or whatever, um, because I want to ask better questions. And when we go out, I don't want it to be dry and boring and just about the weather, it's the sports. It turns out she's not that interested in the Mariners this year. Um, and so I, I want it to be more engaging. And, uh, and I, I, I want to, even with, when it comes to my kids, I want to be a parent who is so invested in their kids that I ask better questions than just how was school today? What did you do? That sort of thing. So I think that that same mentality, we should be better at asking questions in so many arenas of life. But when it comes to 
reading in, in scripture, I think that that can be true as well. I want you, I want us, I want myself to ask better questions of the Bible. Not just why, what does it say, who wrote it, whatever, but like, what does this mean to me? What is this calling me towards? And that there's, that there's history spots in this that are, that, are, that are changing in perspectives for us. And so we said, all right, for five weeks, we're gonna look at this. And I gave you a challenge. I said, for five weeks, I would love for you to figure out um, how to be in the Bible as often as possible, whether it's an everyday thing, a habit thing, maybe a once in a while thing, maybe hopefully some of you have been doing that. Uh, we give away free, free books in the, in the lobby uh, uh, of the Bible. Um, and I just said, I, I, I want you to read it. And we said, in, in a way, to be read by it. Um, because when we read it, it often tells us a little bit about us as well. There's so much human intuition. I, I think that there's so much um, touches of humanity and the brokenness and the short-sightedness. And the, uh, the, I don't think that it, it, this didn't float down from heaven. This was written by people. And, and there's, there's, that comes with all kinds of perspective and biases and all of those things, but everything that we consume does. And so how do we look at this and be like, what is this saying to me? And how is this drawing me in? I do think God inspired this thing. I think it, he orchestrated the whole process thing and he's trying to draw a people back to him. The whole, the whole story is about a people alienated from God and he's trying to buy, or, or, or not buy them, but, but, but bring them back into relationship with him. And that is true uh, of us as well. So how do we learn from this as well? So uh, the Bible is spit, in, spit into two different uh, sort of documents kind of sandwiched together. You have an Old Testament and a New Testament. We said, we're gonna be in this for five weeks. We're gonna spend three weeks on the Old Testament, two weeks on the New Testament. So this is the third week of the Old Testament. So if you're ready to get going into some like other Je more Jesus-y stuff, um, next week's the, the, the week. So come back and we're going to talk about gospels and the letters. But for the first three weeks, we've said, all right, the Old Testament and Jewish scriptures was split up into three different categories. They called it the Tanakh, the first letters of, of each thing, kind of breaking it out. But basically the law, the prophets, and the wisdom writings, or just the writings, law, prophets, uh, and the writings. And so today we're going to be talking about um, specifically the writings, or as they would call them, the wisdom books uh, of scripture. So uh, there's uh, a few of them in there, four or five, depending on which category you look at it, but Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, those are the basic categories of this. Uh, so we're going to be diving into how to read those or what kind of a perspective would help us to ask better questions about those. But before we dive into that, I want to play a little game with you. Is that okay? A little social experiment? I'm going to have Phil in the back throw a picture on the screen of an oven that would look great in your kitchen. Whatever you'd be like, ah, this is awesome. I need a remodel. That's a nice looking oven. Here's what we're going to play. We're going to play a game called What is This? This drawer right down here. Now, here's how we're going to do it. You're going to turn to somebody right next to you because you probably came with somebody that you know, live with, share life with, have kids with, whatever, okay? And you're going to take turns telling the other person what you think this is for, okay? Now, here's who goes first. The person who cooks the least in the family or in the household has to go first in saying what this is for. And I'm not kidding. This is not a rhetorical, don't actually do this. I really legitimately want you to do this. What is this drawer right here good for? Five seconds, ready, go. First person is the person who cooks least, and then we'll go back the other way. All right. All right, and if you haven't done it yet, now switch turns. Now switch turns and tell the person the right answer. All right, good, 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 done. All right, I want you to raise your hand uh, if you said this is a warming drawer you knew the right answer that this is a warm, warming drawer. I want you to raise your hand if you just found out right now that this is a warming drawer. And if you, if you said, this is where we store pans, right? Then everyone else, this is where we store pans. A hundred percent. 
That's, and, and please, that's until this week, I thought that this is just where you stored pans. Why? Because that's where we've stored pans for 17 years. We have never once used it as a warming drawer, even though that's what it's technically for. I've always wondered why they're slightly warm when you pull them out from there. Don't get me wrong, but I've never known that that's what that was actually for, which actually just goes into showing all of us that there is oftentimes a gap between the practice of something and the purpose of something. Meaning we use things and we do things in practice, but that's not necessarily what they were created for, right? I spend most of my time at Lowe's or Home Depot walking around with my phone out with pictures of whatever problem I have at my house, walking to anybody in a vest who will talk to me and saying, here's what's wrong. I need something to fix this. What do I do with this? And they're like, we don't actually have that part, right? That's something that we have to order. It's gonna be three weeks. Listen, I need it today. What could I possibly do to fix this with whatever you have, right? MacGyver is a lifestyle at this point, right? So if I bought this and then this and this, could I, could I fashion it like this and just make it work? And they'd be like, well, that's not really what those are things are for. And I know, I know buddy, listen, Charlie, but is this gonna, will this work? This is, will this work? I mean, listen, this happened as early as this morning. We operate in a 60-year-old theater that we rent out to different people. There was a big choral choir that was here Friday and Saturday night, packed the place out. They did awesome. They left. They did their best. But we walk in, and some things are broken. Some things aren't working. That's why there's no group spanner today. That's why there was water all over our lobby. We walk in, and we go, all right, what are we going to do? How are we going to fix this? We're like, well, what we need is this. Well, that's not here, and it's not going to get fixed by 9.15. So what are we going to do instead? There's no groups. We just move things. We fix things. We hold things together. We duck they pick it together until Monday because that's when things actually get repaired and fixed. That's life, man. That's, there's, you know, that's not what that's for. I know, but it works. When it comes to the wisdom books of the Bible, right? These books that are, are that there is oftentimes uh, this, these books have the, are the most susceptible to this type of activity. Um, people using them for something be like, that's not what that's for. I know, but like, there's a difference between practice and purpose. What is the purpose uh, of these? So, and because the question for us is oftentimes I'm looking for wisdom. I need some discernment. I need to know what I'm supposed to do. I'm growing through life. I don't have the answers. I, I, I don't, I don't know if I'm supposed to marry this guy. I'm supposed to, I'm supposed to move to this place or if I'm supposed to take this job or, or stop doing this or start doing this, or I don't know, all kinds of different things. And so we go, where, where am I gonna look for all these kinds of things? And we look in the Old Testament and we, we say like history books, that doesn't say anything to us. Even the New Testament stories about Jesus. But when it comes to the Bible, we want the Bible. We want the authority of the Bible to say something to us. We want uh, God to speak to us. And the best way that we've think or associate it sometimes with is, uh, ironically, not prayer. Uh, we, w- we would say instead, well, let's see what the Bible has to say. And so we break things open or we go to a different book that has something to say to us. And the most likely scenario that we go to look through is in the wisdom books, even though that's not necessarily what they were designed uh, to do. But in practice, it works out for us. Now, there are certain strategies, just a helpful kind of overview. Here's like the, the drone look at the, the five different books that I think make up sort of the poetry or the writings part uh, of the Old Testament. Uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon. Um, Job is a book about uh, kind of like this narrative story. I don't think it really happened. I don't think there was an actual Job. I think it was somebody who is writing about evil and pain and suffering in the world. And how do we make sense of a God who's good, who allows that to kind of take place? And that's a big, that's a common question for a lot of people, especially those who are suffering acutely 
from, as, as in like immediately, and it's really hurting me right now that, that my granddaughter is going through this or my husband's going through this or something like that. Uh, it's a book on processing through pain and suffering. It's a, it's a fantastic uh, read through. It doesn't have all the answers, by, by the way. It leaves a lot of things open-ended and it um, has a very, uh, I think, unique perspective on uh, God. But, and in a few weeks, um, not the next series, but I think the following one, we're gonna do a deep dive into this. So if that's of interest to you, uh, then keep coming. So we'll go that Psalms. Psalms are human emotion through songs. This is literally the songbook of Israel. These were songs that they would sing, uh, written by a bunch of different things. They would sing them as they go on their way to travel to Jerusalem. They would sing them uh, going into war, coming out of war, having children, um, expanding their families, uh, marriage, all that kind of stuff. They would have a bunch of different songs. We sing some of them. Some of them play in between the songs that we sing, just to remind us of them. There are emotions that can be, can be communicated through the medium of music that are not easily communicated any uh, communicated in in any other way. Like there are things that are said in that way, right? We see these, we see the roller coaster of emotions. We see this thing. We say, Taylor Swift is such a good songwriter, right? Why? Because she's got this like in touch with humanity piece of all, all this stuff that it, it doesn't work in, in, in a notebook, but it works in the form of a song. Proverbs, uh, wise sayings that are generally, but not always true. Ecclesiastes, the futility of life, existence and meaning and Song of Solomon, romantic love is power all in its own and it bows its knee to nothing. So in terms of like what, what are we talking about? Wisdom comes at us from a lot of different angles. And it would be helpful if we're looking in the context of something, where do we start in all of these things? That these things are not the same. They're in the same genre, but they do not speak to the same truths uh, about this. So there's a good like overview for you, perhaps of depending on kind of which season of life that you're in, uh, perhaps a good place to be able to begin and start uh, to, to kind of navigate some of those sort of things. But in relation to... Uh, the wisdom writings in the rest of the Old Testament. Um, and uh, a writer had this to say about it. Much of the law and prophets are concerned with the collective journey of God's chosen people from Egypt to the promised land and beyond. In fact, most of the story from Genesis through Malachi is that with the exception of this, but a bunch of people who made their way out of Egyptian slavery and into the promised land and then what they did uh, from there, there on out. Wisdom books deal with what happens in your family's caravan on the way which is a very different experience. If you've ever done a road trip with your kids over spring break or in summer break down to California to take your kids to Disneyland, there's a different question being asked when somebody from your family goes, how was Disneyland? And how was the drive town to Disneyland? <laughs> right? Disneyland was awesome. The 13, 14 hour drive was not awesome. You know what I mean? Um, that there are things that, are that take place in that in that van or in that whatever that um, it's part of the trip, but it's a very different, we're talking about a very, very different trip in there. It's far more personal, right? So then it leads to these questions that, that he says, they ask this, how do we live moment to moment and why? And does it mean something? These, these books for them were books on how does it live, how do we live moment to moment? How do we process through existence in the overall, inside of the overall scope of them moving from Egypt into the promised land. But on the way, these would be books that held us together, that walked through human intuition. And in the case of Proverbs, how we raise our kids into seeing life in a certain way, into raising them up into some sort of an instruction process. And here's what I want you to do. And here's some wisdom, um, if you'll hear it. And on the surface, some of them can feel very straightforward and very practical. Very, this is sort of how the world works. Uh, in fact, one of my favorite Proverbs that hangs on a wall in my office is one that I've preached on uh, a, a quite, a, quite a number of times. It shows up in Proverbs chapter 30. 
It's the wisdom say, uh, sayings of, uh, of uh, a different guy. In fact, it's borrowed, it's borrowed literature from outside of the nation of Israel. They do this a couple times. They'll do this from Egypt. Like Egyptians had their own wisdom books. And then these people had the Isgur is the, the, the poets uh, over here. And the, the Proverbs are just a collection of some of their own wisdom, but then also some borrowed from the, the surrounding nations. And this comes from one of the surrounding nations piece. Here's what it says in Proverbs chapter 30, verse seven and nine. One of my favorite ones. Two things I ask of you, Lord, don't refuse to me before I die. Like, please, I'm begging you. This is what I definitely want. Two things. Number one, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Number one is this. What if I could go through life with falsehood and lies far from me? And then number two, give me neither neither poverty nor riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you and say, who is the Lord or who needs God? Or I'm become poor and steal and so dishonor the name of my God. Brilliant. I'm going through life. God, keep keep falsehood and lies. Don't let me, be, you know, lie or don't, don't, don't let me accept the lies of advertising of people I shouldn't be listening to. Don't let me accept the lies of this is what's going to be fulfillment in life. I just like, keep me away from the noise of all of that. And then give me just enough in life where I don't have too much where I'm like, and now I rely on my stuff. And, and then I'm like, who really needs God? Uh, but don't let me be poor either that I do stu- make stupid decisions out of necessity. And then so dishonor the name of my God. Like a brilliant, like good standard. Here's a good picture of how to do life in that way. Very practical. It doesn't take a lot of explanation. Really good, easy read through. If you read that in your Bible on a reading, that would be an easy one to underline and be like, that's good wisdom for life, right? But the problem is it's not always that easy. A lot of times there's a lot more complexity and nuance to all of these things. Um, because oftentimes it's not just about finding the right answers to something or to come at it with, with the right answer, but also knowing when something is right. It's not always just that something is right. Sometimes it's also knowing when something is true. And, and you know this as a parent too, right? You know that sometimes uh, with, with your kids, um, there's a time to speak up and there's a time to shut up. You, there's a time to say something and not to say something. You know that, that well, if you've been around life, and even if you don't have kids, the, the life experience has taught you uh, that the wisest people you know always know the right time to say something. And they can say the right thing, but if it's at the wrong time, it's then it becomes the wrong thing. Listen to this in the two different takes on, um, on wisdom. Both of them classified as, like, in, in, as wisdom texts and something we should learn from. In Proverbs, here we have in verse 21 of chapter 2, it says this, For the upright will live in the land, and the blameless will remain in it. But the wicked will be cut off from the land, and the unfaithful will be torn from it. What is this doing? This is encouraging something to live righteous life, to avoid unrighteous life. Because if you live righteously, you're going to live in the land. You're going to benefit from it. You live unrighteously, it's going to be torn from you. It's going to be a bad existence. You're not going to like it, right? Then Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes chapter 7, verse 15. So a uh, different author, but like same genre of literature. If all, if all I do is go to the wisdom books for wisdom, then I'm going to run into conflict here because Ecclesiastes 7, 15 says this. In this meaningful, meaningful, meaningless life of mine, I have seen both of these things, the righteous perishing in their righteousness and the wicked living long in their wickedness. I've seen good people die. I've seen great or terrible people live till they're 90, Right? Uh, I've seen people smoke like a chimney and live till they're 90. And then I've seen somebody who's never even thought of a cigarette before and and they're totally fine, right? And you're like, it doesn't make any sense. And and which which of these is true? In in a sense, both are true, right? But what is the purpose of... when, when are you trying to talk about this? When I'm trying to raise up my child to be a good upstanding citizen, to live well in society and to represent the family name well, I wanna focus on the Proverbs verse. 
But when we're sitting out back at some point and something tragic just happened in life and he's got all kinds of questions about why tragedy happens, then you go, you know what, man? Sometimes bad things happen to good people. I can't explain it. It's about when, what is wisdom? Wisdom is knowing which situation is calling for the right thing to say at this moment. And the right thing oftentimes has to do with when. It's not enough to just take this at face value. We have to use some even discernment in how we and when we apply these texts to us. Or get this one, this is even, this is even more confusing. Proverbs chapter 26, verse four says this. Do not answer a fool according to his folly or you yourself will be just like him. Or to put a more modern spin on this text, if, we were, if this was to be written in like, you know, 2023 or whatever, right? Guys, stay out of the comment section. Like, don't, don't go in there. There's nothing for you in there. Don't engage with trolls. It's a stupid endeavor. You're only validating their experience. Like, don't do it. Ignore it. Don't even read them. It doesn't matter. They're typing this from their parents' basement. It doesn't matter. (laughs) Their perspective, you don't care what they think or you shouldn't care what they think. And when you engage with them, it only riles them up and makes them feel like, yeah, I'm really doing the warrior's work here. You know what I mean? It's stupid. Don't do it. And then verse, but then the very next verse, verse five, answer a fool according to his folly or he's gonna be wise in his own eyes. Make sure that idiot knows that he's wrong on this thing. Get in that comment section. Clean it all up. Don't let them get away with this. Stand up for what you know is true. You're like, this is all very confusing. This is all very disorienting. Like, which one should I do? And the author of Proverbs in this place would be like, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Both, either, yeah, do it. I, I, I think it's, it, it's a matter of, uh, there's not necessarily a right answer. It's a, which one do you think is the right thing to do in this time? I was uh, in, in with, uh, with our church planners this week, um, hanging out, and, and one of them is, is debating a, a move. He's been at his church. He planted it um, a couple years before us, and he's in the Midwest, and he has a chance uh, to, a church in Seattle that he's been speaking with and, and friends with or whatever. I called him up and like, we're, we're losing our pastor. He's retiring. Um, would you be interested in taking over this church? And so he's, he's at, we're out at this campfire, and we're talking. He's like, I'm trying to debate. I don't want to leave home. I like, there's a lot of things that I like about it, but I also have been sensing a, a transition point and I'm, I'm sensing maybe that this is something I'm supposed to go do. And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I'd hurt the feelings of a lot of people, but I also like this and like that. And I'm like, dude, you should do it. Now I'm biased that Seattle's a lot closer than Kenosha, Wisconsin, right? <laughs> so yeah, but I also like for him, I'm, we're talking through some things and, and he's got other people on the other side of things going, dude, no, 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 you've invested too much here. This is, you know, you're the, whatever. Anyways, a lot of different things. And we left the situation. He's going, he's trying to seek out wisdom. And like good friends, we're both going, I don't know, man, there's a lot of good options there. I don't know what you're going to do. What am I going to do? I don't know. You got a real dilemma in front of you. <laughs> Which one's the right one? I don't know, man. Honestly, probably either one. And I, I think a lot of times we come with our, like, God, what am I supposed to do? What am I supposed to do? I've prayed about it and I just get silence on the line. So then I think, okay, prayer's not working. Now I'm gonna go into this. I'm gonna dive into this and I'm gonna go to the wisdom books because there's some wisdom in there. I'm gonna, I'm gonna discern some wisdom and, and, and look for clarity when it comes to what I'm supposed to do with this. And I think a lot of times what we'll find is not necessarily an answer to our question which can sometimes lead us to feel like it's failure, like I'm not reading this right or it's not good enough or whatever. But that's not the point of it, as I think we're gonna come see. It's like the practice and the purpose of something is, is a little, there's a gap in between those two things. 
that we can come to it and be like, discernment and wisdom come from a, a lot of different mediums. This is one piece of how we've processed through some of this. But if you come here expecting clarity for answers, it might be a little bit tough. But perhaps the wrestling with it is the art. Perhaps the wrestling with it is the point of what it's all about. Perhaps what we see is a bunch of people going, sometimes it was this and sometimes it was this. And it can be both, it can be either, it can be neither. That's not helpful, I know. But you know what? Life's complex, isn't it? What am I supposed to do? Probably God's with us either answer in either direction that we go. It's just a matter of discerning and figuring out what this means for me. The voice of wisdom, oftentimes it's laid, as it's laid out in these wisdom texts, calls out for those who will listen. And for them, the authors uh, of Proverbs, or the author of Proverbs, uh, authors, there was multiple partly people that kind of combined to this, the communal wisdom uh, for them personified wisdom. And when they personified it, they gave it a name. And when they thought about wisdom is like so hard to understand It's so hard to grasp and so hard to possess. And just when you think you know something, you realize how how little you know and you want it so bad, but there's a mysteriousness to it and there's a thing and there's always, wisdom is that thing that for so long you go through life and you look back and be like, if only I would have listened to wisdom, I could have perhaps had a better life or wisdom stands there saying, like as a kind of a, like a contrast to what I know I should have done and then I didn't do it. So then it's there. It's just like this constant reminder that I could have made better decisions in life. So when men sat down to write out, what would women, or sorry, what would we, I just gave it away. I just gave it away. (laughs) Dang it. What is wisdom? It's like a woman for them. There's like a feminine quality for them. Mostly men wrote the Bible, right? This is a very patriarchal society. It was back in these moments, they're writing about this. But when they decided to write about wisdom, they assigned it the, the feminine. They called it lady wisdom. Lady wisdom calls out to this. Proverbs chapter eight is what we're gonna be focusing on today. Um, the first nine chapters of Proverbs are, are more like essays or takes on, on big picture problems. Uh, and then there's a shift in chapter 10, verse through 30 or 29, basically, um, of like more like quips, more things that we think of when we think of Proverbs. Do this and you'll have this. Don't do this and you won't have this, right? Um, and then 30 and 31 are a little bit different. But um, in chapter seven, we are uh, given this picture of what's called, they call lady folly, or that sometimes things can have the appearance of wisdom, but they can lead you down tracks that you don't wanna go. But then in chapter eight, Lady Wisdom is presented as this picture of um, what, what is it in life that I, I desperately want and has, and is so much smarter than me and just right timing, it's better. And it's so mysterious and it's something I can't quite possess or grasp. And they say, it's like, uh, it's like a woman. It's like that womanly spirit that, that, you, that, that is, is there to kind of challenge you. And, and you, you, it's like this dance and it's this relationship for them. For them, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a relationship that we enter into and then we can, that we can't ever fully know that, that no matter how long you're married, you continually find new things about this person that surprise you. Talk to somebody who's been married 40, 50 years. What do you love about so-and-so? Why have you stayed together for so long, right? A lot of times it's, there's, a, there's, com- there's compassion. There's a sense of like, we know each other. We know everything, but she can still, or he still continues to, to surprise me. There's still something about them that draws something out of me that I wouldn't get myself. That good marriages go, I don't, it, they don't complete me. I think that, that uh, Jerry Maguire is a little bit wrong on that, but they do draw something out of me that I can't get by myself. And hopefully in a good marriage, I do the same thing for them. 
But this wisdom piece and this wisdom component is such a critical thing that they, when, they, when they decided to write something about it, that's how they personified it. We're gonna read through it real quick. In Proverbs chapter eight, verses one through 11, and then we're gonna skip a couple and then come back to it. But chapter eight as a whole is a whole big, uh, long, long essay form on it. Look, wisdom calls out and discernment lifts, lifts up her voice. At the top of the heights, on the way, at the crossroads, she takes her stand by the gates at the city's entrance. At the approach to the portal, she shouts. In, in other words, they're saying it's, it's not hard to find wisdom in life. Oftentimes, it's in the most obvious places possible. At the city gates, that's where things would, that's where like the marketplace would be. That's where people would go to sign contracts, get things made. That's where you'd enter and exit out of the city. It's for them. Everyone knows where this at and it's a bustle of activity every single day. So wisdom isn't inaccessible. You have to spend your life searching for it. No, 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 no. Most of the time, wisdom, if we're willing to tune our hearts and our minds towards it, is always right in front of us. We kind, you know this too. You kind of know what you're supposed to do a lot of the time. <laughs> I don't like what it has to say, and I'd like to find another option. And I say, oh, it's so hard to figure this thing out. And your family and your wife and your husband are like, that's not that hard. I mean, but you know, personality, whatever. So this is what he's saying. This, it, it, it's at the city gates. She shouts, she shouts for all who will listen and all who will hear. And here's what she says. To you, men, I call out and my voice to humankind. Understand shrewdness, you dupes. Love this translation. <laughs> Understand shrewdness, you dupes. Preaching. Sometimes wisdom is about being a shrewd person who understands and thinks critically about them. So this idea of shrewdness is gonna come up over and over again. It's gonna be a passionate thing for, for the Jewish people as, as a whole to kind of, um, to, uh, to uh, base a lot of their identity on their shrewdness and be like, we, we are gonna be people who take these, these things seriously. We're gonna be stewards, proper stewards of this. When Jesus sends out his disciples, what he says, he says to them, he says, I'm gonna send you out and I want you to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves as shrewd as the most, for them, uh, the, the animal that was the smartest, like figured it out and they're just, serpents were known for their shrewdness and their ability to survive and get to different places despite not having all of the, the other things that animals have for them, right? So the shrewdness was a capitalized thing for them. So understand shrewdness, you dupes and fools. Make your hearts understand. Listen, for I speak noble things, my mouth's utterance, uprightness. For my tongue declares truth and my lips loathe wickedness. In the right are all my mouth sayings and nothing in them is twisted or crooked. They are all plain to the discerning and straightforward for those who find knowledge. Take my reproof rather than silver and knowledge is choicer than fine gold. For wisdom is better than rubies and all precious things can't match her worth. When you go through life, listen, she's saying living wisely is gonna be better than making a lot of money. Money comes and goes. A fool and his money are soon parted, are soon separated from each other. Choose wisdom in this way. Wisdom is gonna be far worth far more of your attention and your energy than that. Then, a few verses later, verse 22, it switches. It's almost like there's a change in the song or a change in the essay. It goes to a, like a little bit more of a cosmological bent and I'll show you what I mean. The Lord created me at the outset of his way. The very first of his works of old, in remote eons, I was shaped at the start of the first things of earth. When there were no deeps, I was spawned. When there were no wellsprings, water sources. Before mountains were anchored, before hills, I was spawned. He had not yet made earth and open land and the world's first clods of soil. Now, very, very clearly, this author of this text 
is recalling and bringing out like this creation story from Genesis 1 and 2, right? Uh, For them, this is how they said uh, life came into existence. God orchestrates this whole thing. He creates things out of nothing. And then all of a sudden, this author goes, not out of nothing, though. And he wasn't alone when he did it. Before all of those things, I was there. And then he goes on and continues, or she goes on and continues. When he founded the heavens, I was there. When he traces the circle on the face of the deep, when he propped up the skies above, when he powered the springs of the deep, when he set to the sea its limit that the waters not flout his command. They oftentimes believed in that time um, that, that, that water was always the source of evil. When, when you read any sort of text, ancient text, water uh, always symbolized unknown and usually darkness and, and evil things lived in there. The Leviathan, the sea beast, and the Baal God. God is the only thing that keeps us safe from whatever evil lurks in the water, right? So I mean, for them, into the world, people would sail off and never sail back. I mean, that's, that's kind of how uh, that sort of thing worked. And so the gods for them kept things at bay, kept us on the land of the living and away from the darkness of the sea. So this is their, this idea of wisdom in here. Um, when he strengthened the earth's foundations and I was by him and intimate, I was his delight day after day, playing before him at all times, playing in the world, his earth and my delight with humankind. Like very, very clearly, um, this author is trying to communicate something about in the early stages of this creative process that wisdom has been around a really long time, that there's something about it that's almost external to God, but also like a part of him. John in his gospel, when he would write the his version of the story, the person of the te- in the teachings of Jesus, John chapter one, a very, very first part, in the beginning was the Logos, and the word, the Logos was with God and the word was God. There's ties to perhaps he's got this text in mind as he's going, Jesus was the epitome of wisdom. Because very clearly, I think John is trying to kind of associate that with Jesus. But where does Jesus come from? And instead of trying to say um, Jesus was, was born recently and then he died and did this, and they're going, yes, but he's kind of always been a part of this. Like there's a piece of him that as I think as John is trying to process through takes place in this thing of wisdom that perhaps it's been a part of this the entire time. It's very convoluted, it's whatever. But listen to this though. And I was by him and intimate. I was his delight day after day that there was this engagement with wisdom that somebody who, who engaged in his work loved doing it with wisdom because there was a playfulness in it about this, which if you're good at your job, sometimes there's a playfulness to your job that you go, I can't believe I'm paid to do this. I love doing this. I would do this even if I wasn't paid, right? There's that, that kind of a thing that comes with it is this joy. And it's like this always, this dance, playing before him at all times, playing in the world, his earth, and my delight with humankind. I mean, it is very, very clear that there is a wrestling that it, it pictures this almost as like a dance, almost as if um, since the beginning, there has been a dance with Lady Wisdom that even God himself played with on a personification level, right? Um, and that when we wrestle with, ask about wisdom, try and come for answers, don't always get them, come to the wisdom books, but that's not exactly what they're for. But when we engage in this, when we read and consume other people's writings about how they process through wisdom and discernment and delight in these and read these and enjoy them. It's almost as if we are following the footsteps of our creative father who has been doing this since the beginning. That when we struggle with, what am I supposed to do next? What am I supposed to do? And, and we ask and we are asking friends and family and we're, we're, we're praying and, 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 and we're asking God for answers and we're, 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 we're going to scripture for wisdom in this. 
that that's not like an exception. It's not a broken thing. Like he's like, that's part of this whole thing. It's not about always having the right answers. Sometimes it's about that work that when you engage in that, what am I supposed to do next? That's the beauty of being alive. That's the beauty of being creator, made in the image of our creator, also then to have the responsibility of creating something, our family, our home, our own kingdom, our something for his glory, yes, but your creative process is involved in this. And there are a lot of unknowns in this. And I'm so thankful that he didn't create us into robots to have all the right answers all the right times, but to seek and go after these things, to sometimes walk away from something, to not have the right answers and to have to just make a decision anyways and be like, to the best of my knowledge, this is what I'm supposed to do. And then to trust that God's gonna be along in that process as well. Though that's, that's how decisions are made sometimes. And I think that's the beauty of it. And I think that the wisdom books point to the reality of that in our lives as we go through things. I don't think that there's this necessary, absolute blueprint that God has for your life. And if we make a decision to marry this person and to move here, or to not take this job or to take this job or to do all these, these major life decisions that we have and that we're gonna screw it up that we do something and God's like, that wasn't in the books. What am I gonna do now? He's gonna try and now close some doors and open some other things. I think a lot of times the gift that he gives as part of his creation is I've been a creator process. I want you to be in the creation process too. Which one are you gonna do? Well, which one's right? They're both, I don't know, both. Answer a folly, answer a person according to his folly or else they're gonna think, or don't answer him because don't play that game. Don't make him, don't judge him, you know? Well, which one's right? Yeah, yeah, depends. Well, which one's right for me in this spot? Which one am I supposed to do? I don't know. But man, isn't it fun to wrestle with it? Isn't it fun to create with it? And maybe sometimes we get some leanings. Maybe we sometimes, it's a very clear voice from God. But I'm just telling you as somebody who's, who's been down that road before, there have been very few times, this might disappoint you as your pastor, very few times that I have heard the clear voice of God to be like, this is what you're supposed to do. Maybe twice. Uh, one, um, one I like to say was marry my wife, but the reality was everyone in my life saying, if you don't lock that up, she's gonna leave you. She's gonna wake up someday and be like, this is ridiculous. What am I doing here, right? <laughs> so that, that one's off the table, even though I would think that for the sake of, you know, the romanticized version of how I fell in love with my wife, but that wasn't how it worked. I'm just telling you, I think wrestling with what am I supposed to do and I'm, I'm seeking discernment, I'm seeking wisdom, is a natural part of our existence as life. I think it's reflected in the wisdom literature and the wisdom text of people who've been wrestling with this for years and years and years. And it's a dance and it's mysterious and it's something other than us that we're seeking for. And he's like, when you engage in marriage, when you engage in relationship with somebody else, you get to see this firsthand what that's like, that you don't always know what they wanna do. You don't possess them. They're their own thing. And so you're like, it's like this constant little dance that you're trying to do. Even the dating process is like a dance and you get married and it's still a dance. You're still never sure. Your life is gonna be entirely like that for a really long time as you seek out discernment. Now, it's not that hard to find sometimes. It's crying out, shouting from the city gates if you'll hear it and listen and listen. But, but, but to approach it sometimes and to say, I'm coming here for answers and to walk away and go, I didn't get any answers, therefore it's broken, is not to truly understand the purpose of it. In practice, that might sometimes work, but that's not the purpose of it. The purpose is to celebrate 
the unknown, the questioning as Job's gonna do. How, could you, how dare you allow something like that to happen to somebody like me? Or the Ecclesiastes version of what is life anyways? Like, it seems like the good people get the screw job in life and terrible people have great houses and great lives and, and things to point to and their Instagram's crazy. Like, what's going on with this? It's a, that's a lot of wrestling. And I think that part of the joy of our human experience is in that wrestling. And the wisdom books remind us that that is the case, that that's how this thing works, that it's not broken. It's an invitation if we'll receive it. So I would love for you to wrestle through wisdom books. I think that you should not avoid them. I think that you should dive into them. Yes, having a 5,000 foot view of kind of what the overall scope of their texts are about, as we provided earlier, but then also um, just for, for, for you, for, for life, to have that as a kind of a framework, but then to go into it going, I, I still have questions. I have decisions that need to be made. I put together a few questions to kind of help facilitate more conversation based around this. Three questions. If you are taking this and want to do some homework individually, great. If you came with somebody or you're going through life with somebody that can help process through some of these together, awesome. Maybe a small group or something like that, whatever. I'm not going to spell it out for you, but I am going to give you some tools to help make it a little bit more of a, of a reality, perhaps over coffee or lunch afterwards, something like that. Number one, in what circumstance in my current season of life do I need some wisdom and discernment? And you know this better than anybody else. Like what your life, like I, I really need this in this area now. Number two is a, a little bit more complex. How receptive am I typically to wisdom's call generally? Is it as obvious as she makes it seem? When it comes to like something here, something being out there and, and wisdom being offered, um, am I receptive to other people's opinions or, or thoughts and the wisdom of people? Or do I genuinely feel like I've got things figured out and it's just a matter of me getting enough chances to make it right, right? And number three, if when is so important, because we said it's not just about knowing the right thing, it's about when the right thing is to be said. When am I right now? When am I right now? And I know that's kind of tied into a little bit of, of one, but you'll know, like it's not just the right thing sometimes that you need to know, but is this the right time to be able to do this? So my prayer for you is that you would use the, and, and don't worry if you didn't, you're trying to write these things down real fast and <clears throat> we're gonna take them off the screen in just a second. You're gonna be like, dang it, Brent. Um, we have an app. You can download it in the notes section. If you click on that, you'll get all of these things, including all the text that we will walk through the rest of the day. But that's my hope. And that's my prayer. Let's pray. Father, <clears throat> would you guide us into that truth? Would we allow your scripture, the space in our lives to have us wrestle with this, that there is wisdom that can be gleaned should we listen to it? And that sometimes that wisdom is that in that wrestling and in that, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? you are inviting us into a dance that has been taking place since the beginning, something that we should learn to delight in and not avoid or detract from. So give us the wisdom to know what that looks like in our life. Here's do something about it in your name. Amen. Thanks again for listening. If you've got more questions about the church or community group options for connecting with East Lakers outside of Sunday mornings, I'd encourage you to check out our website, eastlaketricities.com, or better yet, download our app by searching East Lake Tri-Cities in your favorite app store.